0: This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said. O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites." the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And the second reading is from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verses 11 to 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that amazing grace, Lord, whereby we who are far been brought near in Christ, so near, Lord, that you would call us your children, adopted as your sons, so near that one day we shall dwell together with you in heaven. So, Father, we pray that you would encourage us this morning through your word, that you would place in our hearts a hunger for your word and your truth. And, Lord, that you, by your spirit, would use it to change us, that we might be men and women who live for your glory, in joy, persevering to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll be continuing in Ephesians. And so I encourage you to have your Bibles, please have them with you so that as we look at passages of the Bible, you can check, you can see all that is being said and weigh it up like the Bereans did. Not just taking the word of the Apostle Paul even, they took the Scriptures and they weighed it up and that's what we must keep doing. Hope, do you have hope? We live in a world that is pretty hopeless really. Quick to see how, just with this COVID virus coming on, how quickly people were without hope, and how quickly people were in fear, and how quickly people showed their fragility. We see some people who do just literally live with no hope, and it's devastating. We also see some people who live with hope, but it's hope in hopeless things. The thing that they hoped in, maybe you've hoped in something, and it only lasted for a time. Often for us, we can put our hope in people, in a relationship. And when that doesn't last, what next? But our passage this morning points us towards hope. Hope that lasts, hope that endures. The end of verse 12 says, Having no hope and without God in the world is what we were like before Christ. But the passage this morning is going to speak to us about how we can have hope, how we can have God. In other words, how we can have hope that lasts forever, hope that's unshakable, hope that endures, that though the COVID virus comes, though those in our lives may pass away, though we might even lose everything, our hope is maintained because our hope is in Christ and all that God has done for us. So from our passage this morning, the question is, how does God teach us and show us how it is that we have hope in Christ? How is it that in Christ we can have God? Because if we have God, we've got certain hope. And so three parts come from our passage this morning. I'll read verses 11 and 12, because that essentially sets up the way we're going to look at it this morning. Paul writes to the Ephesians, the Christians in that church, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise which resulted in having no hope and without God in the world those three things are crucial if we're to have hope if we're to share in God The Bible tells us there that if we are to have hope and be with God, we need those three things. Firstly, the covenants of the promise. We need to share in them. The commonwealth of Israel, somehow we need to partake in that. And Christ himself. And so as we look through this morning, we're going to look through our verses and we're going to break it up into those three things. The covenant of the promises, the commonwealth of Israel and Christ. Christ because it's crucial, it's essential that we understand those things and share in those things if we are to have that hope that is unshakable. It's those promises first, the covenants of the promise, that are essential because it's that's the hope of salvation. When we consider the covenants and the promises that God embedded into those covenants, we see the way that God was providing for people in a fallen world to be saved. But if we hear this word covenant and the covenants of promise, it naturally takes us back to the beginning of the Bible. To a man named Abraham. To a man who lived about 2,000 years before Jesus. Because they're the covenants that's been referred to. They're the covenants that we need to somehow, and that's what this passage is going to show us, share in if we are going to have hope. And so Abraham is the one we need to turn to and these covenants of promises are very important because a covenant is a very serious thing. Somewhat when I got married to Bronie I made a covenant with her. A covenant is a legally binding contract. What Bronie read for us from Genesis 15 with all those animals that was the making of a covenant. Typically, when a covenant's being made, it involves two parties, two people come together to make the covenant. And if you break that covenant, you're guilty. You're to be punished. And here we see God doesn't just make promises, but God places his promises in covenants. If you want to say super promises or huge promises, because he comes to Abraham and gives him this promise of blessing, Which we will look at. But God just doesn't say, I'm going to bless you. God places that promise of a blessing and covenants that He will keep that promise. And so in chapter 15, we even, as if you remember where it was being read, God got Abraham to get all these animals. Those animals were cut in half, except for the birds. And typically, the two parties would work, but three walk between the carved up pieces to make that covenant, which literally meant if either of us break the covenant, may we be as those animals are. May you put me to death. But we see something extraordinary when God made his covenant with Abraham in which he embedded his promise. He put Abraham into a deep sleep. So that in the end, it was only God who made the covenant. Only God made himself bound to the covenant. Abraham became passive. There was nothing Abraham was required to do so as to make that covenant be for him. God said he would make this covenant and God would do all that was necessary so that the promises would come to pass. And why are those covenants so wonderful? The covenants with Abraham. We go even further back in the Bible. Right back to Genesis 1 and 2. If We remember Genesis 1 and 2 is where we learn that God created the world. The first man was Adam. And from Adam, God brought brought forth Eve. And then God brought forth all people. But in Genesis 3, we see that Adam sinned against God. And having sinned, Adam died spiritually. And having died spiritually, he went on to die physically. And on account of Adam's sin, creation was cursed and death came into the world. So that all Adam's offspring, that includes you and I, now inherit his fallen condition. So that we are born spiritually dead. We come into the world under the curse of the fall, slaves to sin and captives to death. We come into the world in a hopeless state. We saw that last week. If you look back to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all lived once in the passions of our flesh. Our sinful flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We need to be saved. Conceived in sin, born in sin, we come forth cursed. But in these covenants that God makes with Abraham, we start hearing of blessing. We start hearing of hope. God, who is rich in grace and mercy, had a plan to save a people from a fallen world. Ephesians 1 tells us that plan was not God reacting. But God had actually had his plan in place from before the creation of the world. A plan of salvation that through Christ, his son, salvation would come into effect. Sometimes when we consider God's plan of salvation, you may wonder why after Adam sinned, why didn't God just send Jesus straight away? Why do we have to wait so long, so many thousands of years? There are many things that we wonder when it comes to how God works. I know there are many things in my own life, and I'm sure in yours, we wonder, God, why do you do it that way? But one thing, when we know and hear about God's plan of salvation again and again, filling chapter one, we are told that God's plan of salvation is according to his perfect purpose. According to his will. According to his wisdom and insight. And so we may wonder, God, why did you wait all those thousands of years till Abraham? Why do we sitting here today have to consider covenants that were made with a man, say, 4,000 years ago? Because that is what God has willed. And it's perfect. And it's what we need. And this man, Abraham, it was those covenants that God made with him that were worked out through the Old Testament, were being worked out through the New Testament and are being worked out today. So who was Abraham? Abraham. We're told in Genesis 15 and back in Genesis 11 too, that he was a pagan man who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. That's the region of Babylon. He was a man who didn't seek God. In fact, he worshipped false gods. He was an idolater. There was nothing in him that was seeking after God. He was a man thoroughly dead in his trespasses and sins and was following the course of the world and followed the prince of the power of the air, Satan. He was living according to the passions of his flesh, but God. God came to that man and God saved him. God chose him and he gave him some incredible promises. And so turn with me to Genesis 12. Let's read what God said, we'll look at four occasions where God speaks to him. So firstly, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, The word of the Lord comes to Abram and takes him outside. In Genesis 15, 5 to 7. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Genesis 17. Starting at verse 3. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. And I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings or the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. In Genesis 22. verse 17 i will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Grand promises, huge promises. Abraham, a man from the land of Ur, worshipping foreign gods, doing whatever men did in that part of the world. And the God of heaven comes and speaks to him and starts speaking to him promises that, Stretch far beyond the land of Ur, taking him to the land of Canaan and saying these promises are going to spread to people all around the world. They're going to spread throughout generations and they're going to spread on into eternity. Promises that God then placed in a covenant. I will do this. These promises coming into a world that is living in rebellion against God. Abraham was one of those men rebelling against God, worshipping idols. And yet God comes into this fallen world and picks out a man, Abram, and makes these promises to be a great nation. Israel, a people under God. Into a world that is under God's condemnation. A people with whom God would show favor. whom God would pour out his blessing. A people that would be drawn from the ends of the earth, ultimately. But as we ponder what that meant to be blessed in a cursed world, it makes us stretch our minds a bit further into what God is doing. Because God promised that this people, the offspring of Abraham, would know his blessing, not curse. The fall and sin led to the curse. For this nation to know God's blessing and favor means God will have to work in a way to deal with their sin and rebellious hearts otherwise he can't be pouring blessing and favor upon them his condemnation would still abide and since these promises mean the curse of sin is being replaced by God's favor and sin somehow is going to be dealt with death has to be removed because death only comes where sin has to be taken to account that brings in the hope and the mystery of resurrection and life and hope beyond death Because those who die under these blessings, death comes on sin and that cannot be the final say because they are under God's blessing and favor. And God promised that this nation, the offspring, the children of Abraham would be victorious. All those who oppose them and rise up against them and against their king, who is ultimately Jesus, will be overcome. And will reign. And that they would have a nation and a land that would endure forever the land of Canaan. And the Bible goes on to say the king of this nation will sit on David's throne. He will reign from Jerusalem. And these promises that God covenanted were everlasting. And God said to Abram and all the males who were born into his family, they needed to be circumcised. This would be a mark that they had been set apart from all the other nations. This would be a sign to them to remind them that this nation would be according to God's doing, not man's doing. And to remind them to trust in God, not the flesh. Ephesians 1 and 2, if you come back to Ephesians. Essentially what Paul has been doing, starting at Ephesians chapter 1, is helping us grasp more fully what these blessings are and the fullness of these blessings. Because Ephesians 1 and 2, talking about all that God has done, the glories of God, are nothing more than the blessings, the promises made to Abraham being fulfilled. About being adopted by God to be his children, being redeemed, forgiven and justified through the Son, being made alive and sealed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit receiving the gift of eternal life and, and everlasting inheritance and dwelling with God forever. All this is what the covenants that God made with Abraham were pointing to. In a world that was in rebellion against God and fallen, there was only one place where there was hope. And that was in the promises that God gave to Abraham. Anywhere else you looked for hope, it would not be found. It would be like sand through your fingers. It would not last. But there was one place that God in his sovereign will placed hope. Life and hope beyond the curse, beyond sin and the fall. And that was in Abraham and those promises. We need to share in those promises. Because God hasn't made those promises to you and to you. He made them to Abraham and to all those who are his offspring. There's only those promises. And if we can share in those promises, then we have hope. That's what Ephesians 2 12 is telling us. Alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel from Christ and the covenants. We need the promises. And if we to share in those promises, somehow we need to be counted with Israel. Because as long as we are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, we can't share in the promises of Israel. God hasn't abandoned. His plan of salvation, even though Israel had to wait thousands and thousands of years, Jesus came. And then, when Jesus came, those promises were just magnified a hundredfold, infinitely. As we saw, just what the fullness of them meant, because the fullness in the end is that Gentiles too can share in those covenants. Because if you and I can't share in those covenants, if we're, then we're lost. How can we become citizens of Israel? That's what this passage is telling us. We see a similar reality to what we're going to see play out here in Australia. How does Australia's numbers grow? We have children. But also too, we have people who leave their country, migrate and come to Australia and become naturalized as Australians and get citizenship to Australia, which means they are treated just as if they'd been born in Australia. And that is what we're challenged with here. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. And that is just pressed home again and again. In Christ, we are citizens of Israel. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. By the blood of Christ, the Jews had their covenants. They had the promises. They were near to God as they lived by faith and Gentiles had been brought near to join them. Verse 14. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the diviling wall of hostility. Julie will put a picture up shortly. But God has made the two one. It's important to hear that. That dividing wall of hostility takes us to the temple. It was made very clear. If you entered into the temple, as you see the picture, all that is within the bounds of the temple. And you see there's a little wall there. It's about this high. If you walked into the temple and you were a Gentile who wanted to worship God, you could only go that far. You could not go through that wall. Only if you were could carry and show that Abraham, I'm a legitimate descendant of Abraham by flesh. Could you go through those little entries? And so this elitist, the Jews who had forsaken the covenants and faith, who thought themselves presumed upon the covenants, who did not put their trust in Christ, they just waltzed on through there and thought themselves proud and better than the rest of others, best of the world. And so there was this hostility, this prejudice. But here we see, thanks, Julie, in verse 14, God has taken rid of that wall. So that together, whether you're born as a descendant of the flesh of Abraham, or you're a Gentile who's put your faith in Jesus, with the Jew who puts his faith in Jesus, you stand together. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. That takes us back to verse 12, because before we were alienated from the Commonwealth or from the citizenship of Israel, but in Christ, we are card-carrying Jews. That's what we're being told. But it shows more still about what it is to become one with Christ and be joined with Israel. Because we get that picture in verse 15 of a new man. Because when we come to receive citizenship in Israel, we're not second-class citizens. We are one. Verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Before there were two old men. The one old man was Israel. And they excluded Gentiles. They were the circumcised. The other old man were the Gentiles. They were reminded constantly they were separate from Israel and they were the uncircumcised. They had to stand behind the war. But God has said he has made something new and that both Jews and Gentiles are now citizens that they might know that to be a child of Abraham, to be of Abraham's offspring, goes beyond just your birth certificate. To be of Abraham's offspring, which is by faith in Christ, you stand together with them as one man, not two. And verse 16, the oneness is... And might reconcile us both to God in one body. Christ doesn't have two bodies. He is the head of one body. Ephesians 5 reminds that. Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And here we are seeing that the body that is one is the one body of those who have faith in Christ. Christ. They're together, offspring of Abraham. The word church simply means gathering. And so being told, there's only one gathering. That's two gatherings. There is now one gathering, one body of which Christ is head. The oneness is pressed further in that verse 19. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God not another household, you're not in the granny flat, you're not on the annex, you're in the one house, the one household of God. And we are members of the household of God, the household of God are the children of Abraham. If you remember in 1 Timothy, which we looked at before, 1 Timothy is telling us, 1 Timothy 3.15, which is written to the church, the gathering of Christ, If I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. So though we are Gentiles, because we have put our faith in Jesus, we are part of the household now, the household of God. And then there's one temple. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a a holy temple. There are not two temples. We have been built together as one temple in which God will dwell and dwells. There was so much division, racial division between Jews and Gentiles. This was mind-blowing to grasp what the covenant that God had promised To Abraham meant that Jews and Gentiles could come together as one. It's no wonder that Paul is repeating it again and again and again. Get it. Get it. Through faith in Christ, we become members of the Israel of Abraham. Only to that nation has God given the eternal covenants of promise. And in Christ, we become a part of Israel, just as Peter, James and John are. What a privilege. We have no place, but God has brought us near. Yes, the Jews have hard hearts now, but God has actually promised that in the latter days, there'll be this wonderful revival and they will believe. From the very beginning, God has shown that not all Abraham's natural offspring are citizens of Israel. Ishmael and Isaac, they were both circumcised. Ishmael was not of Israel, but Isaac was a true Israelite. Jacob and Esau both were circumcised. Yet only Jacob was counted of the true Israel. Esau was not. In John 8, you remember Jesus was confronted by the teachers of the law. You couldn't be much more Jewish than being a teacher of the law. And they came to him and said, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. The man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. And then Jesus says something very provocative. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. You are of the far, your father, the devil. Turn with me to Galatians 3. Just one book before. Galatians 3 verse 7. So Galatians 3 verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, "And you shall all the nations be blessed, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Turn to Romans chapter 2 verse 28. Romans chapter 2 verse 28 And here Paul is addressing the proud the proud Jews as he writes to the church and their situation So Romans 2:28 For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical but a Jew is one inwardly And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So from the beginning, there have been those who have been of the true Israel, the Israel of promise, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. On we go, David, Isaiah, old man Simeon. Peter, James, and John, they were all offspring of Abraham who had faith. And so they belonged. And so they shared in the promises given to Abraham. Romans 11, I encourage you to read it, but speaks of Abraham's Israel. Israel is like an olive tree <clears throat> that has been growing through the ages. The branches that grow out of that tree, those who are born into Israel, that reject Christ, like in the orchard, are cut off. Such as the religious leaders Jesus was speaking to. Well, Gentiles who accept Christ, like in an orchard, are grafted in to that olive tree. So they become one with the tree, as if they'd always grown out of that tree. So God did not cut the tree down and start fresh when Jesus came, no. No. God has been removing the branches and grafting new branches in. We are of the same tree, the same household that has been growing through the ages. One day when we gather in the kingdom of heaven, if we're going to be card carrying citizens, Abraham will stand up and say, I've got my card. Peter will stand up and show his card. John will show his card. Simeon will show his card. And you will lift up your card and it will be the same one citizen of Israel through faith in Christ. There will be no difference. For God has allowed you to grow out of that tree. Some in the church have written Israel off as if God started again. Well, that can't work. Because that would mean God's promises to Abraham failed. That would mean God has broken his covenant. That would mean it's pointless being made a citizen of a nation that no longer exists. And It would be meaningless to be grafted in. It is the Israel of Abraham that has continued through the age and we have always partaken of it by faith. So as we look at this too, we must remember we are one with Israel. Because some people also go the other way. So that as if we live in the church with that wall still there. As if there is a distinction still in a way that God does not put. As if there is two men, two trees, two households, two temples. The Bible doesn't go there either. It says there is one. And so I believe it's right to pray for Israel. Pray that people would come back to Christ. That they would acknowledge their king. Because in the end, we are wrapped up and our hope is in the King of Israel, Jesus. We don't support an Israel that is unbelieving. We don't align ourselves in their sinfulness like King Manasseh or King Saul. We pray for a revival. We pray that they would recognize Christ. We pray for them to put their faith in Jesus. We pray for the coming of the King. We're praying for the King of Israel to come. That's Jesus. We pray for the establishment of his kingdom. Well, he's going to sit on David's throne. He will reign from Jerusalem and his reign will extend throughout the earth and he'll rid the world of sin and Satan and death. And so we pray our Father in heaven, thy kingdom come. That is what we're praying for. By being card carrying grafted in members of Israel, we have hope. Because those promises we can share in now. But how can we belong to Israel? That's the last step. Jesus. Only through him. Only through being united to Jesus. Remember that you at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants. But praise be to God in Christ, we now share in the covenants because we are citizens of Israel because we're united to Jesus. What did Jesus do? Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wages of sin is death, the wrath of God. By nature, we were children of wrath. But when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for our sin. He satisfied God's righteousness that we might be brought near. In Christ, God sees us as circumcised, like we read in Romans. Hence, there's no need for this wall of hostility in Christ, because being in Christ, we can go all the way through. And as we remember at Easter, the curtain's being torn. We can go all the way into the presence of God in Christ. No longer condemned by the law, verse 15, because Christ has abolished or made powerless and obsolete the law of commandments. We can't keep the law, but Christ kept them. We should be condemned by the law, but Christ has taken that condemnation. And so in Christ, we share in the promises because all the barriers that God had that were in place, Christ has plowed through. And it's by faith, it's a gift. And as we put our faith in Jesus, we look forward to that great rule. Because Christ ultimately is the capital O offspring of Abraham. He's the one who will overcome the world, the devil and the flesh that the beginning of chapter 2 challenged us. Because he is the one who is the offspring of the woman that will crush the serpent's head. He's the one as the Lord's anointed who will sit on David's throne and so will fulfill Psalm 2 and lay claim to a world that has walked away from God and lives in rebellion against God. He's the one who has overcome our sinful nature and the passions of our flesh through the cross. He's the one who has taken us from being spiritually dead to spiritual life because through the cross, he's paid for our trespasses and sins and we can receive the spirit who can revive us. No longer children of wrath. He's the king of Israel. The king of the nation that God promised to bless. And through faith in Christ, we share in the King. And so we share in his nation. And so we share in his blessings. That's hope. (laughs) All by the grace of God. Do you share in that hope? I encourage us to go away and know, do we really trust in Jesus? Because that hope for the world is only through him. Only through him can you belong. This passage then also challenges us. There's no racial divide. There is no elitism when we come into the church. God wants to break it down. Our world's constantly trying to put up all the racial divides to make distinctions. But when our identity is in Christ, we become one man, one nation, one people, one temple together. Whether you're from Africa or Asia or Australia, we are one. We should tell people about Jesus, about the King. Because this blessing is for the nations. Revelation 4.9. The choir of heaven gets together and essentially sings the fullness or the fulfillment of the blessings and the the covenants of promise to Abraham. When Christ the Lamb, the victorious Lion of Judah comes in. Revelation 4.9. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed, redeemed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. That is the hope of the covenants of promise. That is ours in Christ. And those verses have motivated men and women around the world to go to the nations to tell people about Jesus. We've got the Black bells coming next week. They went to South America to tell people about Jesus because God's blessings, promises go to that nation. It's those promises that give us the confidence to tell people about Jesus, to go to places that we would fear to go, to go to places that look impossible because God has said he would bring blessing to every tribe, people, language, tongue. And he would allow hope to reach in through faith in Jesus. And so no racial divisions in the church. Make sure we all have put our trust in Jesus and our faith because there is our hope. And we go and tell the nations about Jesus that they too may share in this hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought us hope. Lord, if we had not heard of Christ, if we did not share in the gospel, if there was no gospel, Lord, our state would be terrible. We'd be rightly under your wrath, enslaved to all that is in us and around us. We thank you for the glorious hope that you have poured out through Jesus Christ. Lord, that through faith in him, we might share in all that you promised to Abraham and these blessings that would be for people from every tribe, tongue and nation. Father, please fill our hearts with this hope. Help us, Lord, with whatever is troubling us and surrounding us to be able to look beyond to the hope that is sure and steadfast. Lord, as we look at a world around us that is so troubled and fragile and hopeless, Lord, that you'd help us look beyond to Christ and to the promises that are certain. Lord, help us to live with joy, even in the midst of suffering, knowing that we belong to you and you have promised to bless us and keep us and we shall reign with Christ forever. Amen.